We greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. Certainly a blessing to be with you. I was, uh, the Sundays we weren't here, I uh, usually would tune into Blue Ball Mennonite Church during the Sunday school hour here. Uh, not that I don't enjoy listening to Brother Ellis, but Brother Ellis tends to walk away from the mic, and uh, it doesn't, it's kind of hard to con- have continuity of thought with a word here and there. Uh, Justin, I think we need a mobile mic uh, for Ellis, or, or Tether maybe, I'm not sure. <laughs> So I was blessed as I, I would listen. That was live stream from Blue Ball, so I could see the minister. I enjoyed that too. But then I usually would tune in. By that time, then their service was done. Then prayer was ready to begin. So I was blessed as I listened to uh, Dwight share last Sunday the encouragement of, uh, you know, keeping ourselves uh, uh, holy. How much sin can we have in our lives? Uh, that how that impacts our lives, and. Uh, so that was a challenge to me as I, I listened to that. This morning I'd like to uh, share with you on a subject that was in my mind, and it's also in this cup. I'd like to talk about water. I know some of you may say it differently than what I say it, but I'm trusting the Spirit will do the interpretation as it did in the book of Acts if I don't say it exactly like you say it. But... I'm glad for the object. This is what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about order, and uh, I'd like to take some spiritual truths from it. Probably a couple of the things that got me thinking about this subject was my wife and Rachel's just in the last two weeks had a, a first cousin that drowned, uh, unfortunately. 61 years old, and uh, took a late evening, late night swim in the farm pond, and not exactly sure. I haven't heard all the details. I, I did see the coroner's report, and he ruled it an accidental drowning. Uh, there was some uh, suspect of uh, levels of methane in, in the uh, pond due to the algae. I never heard of that before, but uh, I suppose anything's possible. It was probably extremely hot. This happened in Pennsylvania, and uh, they said when the rescuers came there, the, the methane levels were four times higher than what they were for, so far as lethal levels. And uh, so that's what I was thinking about, you know, why I'm, I'm a landlubber. I don't know how to swim. My mom, you probably heard me say this before, was fiercely afraid of water. And so she made sure us boys didn't get too close. The closest we had, my first recollection of enjoying water was we had a spring on the farm. And it was a small spring, but we'd dam it up. We'd get it as big as we could and as deep as we could. And the best, it probably came to our waist. So that was not deep enough to learn how to swim. But uh, be that as it may, I, I do enjoy water. And uh, the second thing that probably got me thinking about this subject was the fact of the, the recent temperatures. You know, yesterday was a scorcher. I don't know what the uh, what the average, what the heat index was, but they were, they were forecasting up to over 105, I think. And you put that, confine that in a restricted area within a barn, you know, it's uh, it gets pretty hot. And uh, so, you know, when I'm down doing chores in the afternoon, the first thing, my first course of action is I hit the shower because that's what feels good. I use water to find refreshment from, you know, the humidity that's uh, that we're enduring. So as I thought about this subject, water, I'd like to uh, take you to Genesis chapter 1. We find it is a natural resource. We live in a land of 10,000 lakes, tongue-in-cheek, actually, 
If you look at, if you Google that, it's actually 11,842 lakes. And I did find it rather interesting. I'm not sure how Minnesota came to exploit that uh, number, but uh, actually Wisconsin, I think, has 15,000, and they said Alaska has over 30,000 lakes. But uh, Minnesota is uh, blessed with uh, abundance of water, not only in its lakes, but also in its uh, rivers and streams, and uh, generally in in uh, in its precipitation amount too we get generally at least in the southern part here we typically we often get an abundance of rain but if you look at genesis chapter 1 it's a natural resource a blessing from god and uh, genesis 1 verse 2 and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the waters and then you drop down to verse 9 and god said let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Why did God separate that water from the dry land? Well, he had in mind the humankind that he was going to create was a species with lungs, and we needed air to breathe. He could have created us with gills, uh, and, you know, like the fish, we are an amphibia or, uh, or aquatic naturally, but, uh, you know, the fish takes that water in through the mouth, and... Uh, that water goes over those gills and it takes the oxygen that's in the water and it's, it, it, it takes it into the bloodstream of the fish. God has created us differently. We get too much liquid into our lungs and we're done for. And that's exactly what happened. When you, when you drown, your lungs become filled with water and you can no longer get the necessary oxygen that you need to sustain life. So God separated in his plan he separated the water from the dry land but yet in spite of that we are dependent upon water for life Ellis he was hauling his cup up and down here this morning and uh, you know we're dependent upon liquid the natural human body is I think anywhere from 50 to 60 percent water uh, depending how hydrated we are or how, de- or how dehydrated we are the spiritual truths that I want to draw from this subject this morning as we think of water is the first one I want to look at is spiritual satisfaction that we find in the water of that God has provided. And I thought of John verse chapter four, verse 14. Jesus here is talking to the woman at the well and he tells her some interesting truths. John four, verse 14. This woman had come to draw water. Remember, I said we need water to sustain life. She was coming for an earthly sustenance for her physical family, life. And then Jesus told her this in verse 14. Said, he said, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, you compare that verse to what the world has to offer. And Jeremiah does it so adequately. If you turn back to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and this is talking about Israel. And I'm sad to say, maybe many times we make the same choices. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a comparison there. God is offering, God had offered them fountains of living water. God here in John 14 is offering that, that woman 
living water. And we make the choice many times to source our sustenance of life, our satisfaction of life from something that is so much less. Am I guilty of that from time to time? If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, while I'm back here in Jeremiah, I mean, just turn there. Those are very, very familiar verses. Probably many of you know them by heart. And he says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Again, the key word is satisfaction in what God has provided for us, a relationship with him. God invites us to come and be partakers of that. I was reminded of the experience of Hagar back further in the book of Genesis, where if you remember the story of, of Abraham, and he had sent Hagar, his handmaid, with Ishmael away because there was conflict in the family. So he sent her away. And she was desperate for water for this son. And she said, I may as well give up and die. I want to turn to that verse because it's so so fitting to the thought of satisfaction. And I think it's something we need to uh, experience at times in our lives. When we make choices that are wrong, we need to come back to God. We need to cry out to God and ask us to open our eyes. Genesis, Dwight was talking in the uh, opening here about, uh, you know, having... What tribe was it? Ishkar. You know, having the uh, the understanding to to know what to do. And here in, in Genesis chapter 21, verse uh, 19, And God opened her eyes, opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. I believe we need to come to a place when we come to God and say, God, open my eyes. I need that refreshing drink. I need that satisfaction. I need that nourishment. Also thought of the familiar passage of Psalms 23, the picture, word picture that David uses there in Psalms 23. And it goes like this in uh, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Satisfaction, I shall not want. Can we honestly say that this morning? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads leadeth me beside the still waters. Is that... What you're experiencing this morning is I is a question I ask you. Are, is God leading you beside the still waters? Turn to, turn to Psalms 42 if you want to. There it describes, gives the word picture of a heart panting after the brooks and finding satisfaction. And David says, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. How much do you desire God this morning? If you want satisfaction, if you desire satisfaction... I can tell you this morning, that satisfaction can be found in no other source this morning than in God. In God this morning, we have the waters of satisfaction. The second thing I thought about as I thought about waters and lessons in the Scripture, I thought about the flood that took place, and I like to uh, turn to... uh, you know, those are waters of judgment, and God does at times use water for judgment, for punishment, and that's exactly what God did in the uh, 
in the flood. Peter chapter 3, verses 6 and 7 is the way Peter words it here. Whereby, he's referring back to that, he says, Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with, overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. We could turn back to the account there in Genesis chapter 6 and 17. We see Genesis 6 verse 17, Genesis 7 verse 10. And there we have the detailed account of what took place. How God used man, a righteous man, a type of Christ. He was just and perfect. And uh, he was a channel of, of salvation to the righteous. And uh, also he was a comfort. God provided a comfort through that providing of the ark. Uh, and there's a lot of typology in that experience that took place there in the flood. The three floors would be symbolic of the Trinity of God. God, the, the ark is also a, 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 a New Testament type of the church. We find our sustenance in the church. We need that fellowship. We need that protection. We need that uh, fellowship and uh, interaction as brotherhood. Um, even the wood that was used, the gopher wood, is that uh, is a type that we find. Also the, the building of it, the design of it, one door. There's only one access to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. We could turn to John 10, the uh, Good Shepherd passage there. Only one way. But you know, God, after that punishment, he, as Noah exited the ark, the eight souls that were saved... He provided with them, he, he, he made a covenant with them and sealed it with the rainbow. And I think that's, I'm going to turn back to Genesis chapter 9 where, where that is, that account is given. Genesis chapter 9 verse uh, 13. <clears throat> Genesis 9 13. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. A God that cannot change, a God that we can depend upon, has given us that token. And today yet, we marvel at that that display of God's covenant to mankind. And uh, there's been numerous mention of that just recently of, in different events. And then I would like to take you to a New Testament. Keep that experience in mind. Noah exiting the ark. Thinking of what he went through. Saw the destruction of the earth. Saw the destruction of family and friends probably or distant relatives anyway. His immediate family was saved, but, but saw the destruction and of the neighbors and, you know, all the rest of the world. You know, and my mind today is boggled by, by you know, the hundreds of thousands that have been succumbed to COVID-19. But, you know, this was the whole population of the world destroyed. Keep that those thoughts in mind and turn to Revelations chapter uh, 4, verse 3. This is prophetically looking ahead. John, the revelator, saw this, I believe. He says, after this I looked, in verse 1, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne 
in sight like an emerald. I don't know if I ever knew that verse was there. If I did, I, I read over it. But, you know, the connection between where God is taking man. He's taking man from the judgment that he, uh, what happened in, in Genesis to the transition of something, a, a, you know, the rainbow is there as a, a connection between where he's taking us from and where he wants to take us to. There's something, I believe, that is, is special about the rainbow and, and God's presence and uh, I think we see that. And it, it gives us, as I see our earthly rainbows today, it gives me a foretaste of, of heaven. So the waters of judgment. There are many other accounts we could look at. I thought of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and the punishment that he brought upon uh, the Egyptians through the destruction there as they crossed the Red Sea. But I'll leave that. And my third point is, is water is for washing. And I already alluded to that personally. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, I'd like to uh, read uh, verses uh, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Particularly verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning how often you ought to wash or bathe when it's hot. Once a day isn't too often in my book, sometimes twice a day. But spiritually, I think on the premises of God's word, we need a bath at least once a day. We need to experience cleansing by the Word of God. And you might ask yourself, how does this happen? How does my life become cleansed by the Word of God? Well, this is as simple as I can explain it. If you read God's Word, and I I have three different things, three ways that we can make God's Word a part of my life. We can read it. We can memorize it. We can listen to it. Actually, there's four. And the fourth thing is we can sing it. There's many psalms that we sing. And there's also songs that we sing that are not necessarily Scripture verbatim. But yet the truths are there. Read God's Word, memorize God's Word, listen to God's Word, and sing God's Word. Those are four things that we can apply God's Word to our lives that will cleanse our lives. It becomes a part of our character. It becomes a part of our thought process. So that when the guy cuts me off in traffic or somebody gives me a piece of their mind that I don't, uh, you know, it, it keeps me from maybe responding in a human way or a natural way, a carnal way. But I remember that a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, it's very practical. God's word is practical. At least that's the way I find it. I'm not saying I always respond correctly. I don't. I'm human, and we all are human. We, we have our failures and our shortcomings. But 
I'm saying if we, if we read God's word, if we memorize, if we do that daily, it's going to be in the forefront of our mind. It's going to be in the forefront of our thinking process. And we can't minimize that. Spiritually, we need to be washed in God's word daily. I came across, I don't even need to credit this to in my study, I came across this thing, it said, ten things God's voice will never say to you. Ten things God's voice will never say to you. And I thought they were kind of impressive. God's word, God's voice will never deny Jesus. Second, it will never demean or demoralize you. God's word is here to encourage us. God's word is here to help us. Third, it will never contradict the written word of God. God's voice, God's word will never contradict itself. Four, it will never cause division among brethren. And I looked at that one and I thought, is that true? I think it is true. God's word will never cause divisions among brethren. Five, it will never tell you to hate someone. Maybe their sins, but not them as a personal, as a person. It will never tell you that no, it will never tell you that someone cannot be saved. Everyone is a candidate to be saved, to experience salvation. It will never cause you to doubt. I thought about that one for a while, but I believe that's true. If there's doubt, it's on our side of the equation, not on God's side. Number eight, it will never tear, it will never tell us to fear the enemy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Whatever that is. Number nine, it would never, it would never tell you to disobey any authority he places you under unless it's illegal, immoral, or sinful. Ten, it would never tell you that God doesn't love you. Because we know that God is the source of love and he loved us so much that he died for us and we can rejoice in that this morning. Coming back to my idea of washing in the word, Titus chapter 3 verse 5 gives a, a nice description of it. It involves the uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, and he brings that in, into focus here. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is really a crude illustration, but, you know, water is important. I like to wash with water, but, you know, I like to have a bar of Avon Heights soap along, too. And that happens to be Avon Heights soap made from Avon Heights dairy. That's a promotional advertisement there. Uh, you know, there's water is good, but it sure doesn't hurt to have a little bit of uh, smell to it as well. You know, and, and think about it. God's Word and God's Holy Spirit working in our lives, making us more Christ-like. Every time you wash in God's Word, there's another layer of filth comes off. Another layer of filth comes off, and we could become more Christ-like. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. I'm right here. I'm just going to flip back to it. Um, again, familiar verses. I like them, and it has to, uh, James 1, verses, uh, <clears throat> I'm using a new Bible, and I, I find it a little bit of a struggle, because everything's not in the place it ought to be. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 22, but 
Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. This comes back to what we were talking about in the Sunday school lesson. This is not just a piece of literature. It's the inspired word of God. It needs to impact your life and my life. It needs to change us. And it will change us if we allow it to change us. I think that that word picture that James uses there is so impressive. You know, there's something about a direct connection between a washroom and a mirror. I don't know if you've ever been in a washroom without a mirror. It doesn't happen very often, but you know, you're kind of handicapped because you can't see yourself. And this goes back to uh, the children of Israel's experience. I thought of their experience in, in Exodus where God was giving them instructions in building the tabernacle and the ark. And, and if you remember how that was, he, he designed for them to have a, a wash basin there um, before they got to the, the ark or the sacrifice place there. And at that, that, that uh, they called it the labor. That was made out of women's looking glasses. So as they washed, as the priest washed there, they could see what needed to come off. It was just like, it wasn't a mirror set up necessarily, I don't think, but it was, it was as they washed, they could see their reflection in that laver or that basin. basin. I, I want, want to look, see how big that was and how many gallons of water it held. I don't remember. Anybody know offhand how many gallons of water was in that? Interesting to know. But uh, anyway, that's sideline side to our thought here this morning. But the importance. And then at the conclusion of that, God told him, he said, they needed to wash, he said, so that they don't die. That's how important it was. If you look at those verses there in Exodus, he said they need, this is all, this is all important. This isn't just happenstance. You don't just come up here casually and dip your hands in in a quickie. I don't know if it was 20 seconds or not, but it was probably longer than that. I think they spent a little time there and they washed because God said if they don't do it, they're going to die. He said, you do this and you look as you wash. You know, that tells me that looking into God's word is an important. We need to allow God's spirit to speak to us. We need to meditate on it so that we die not. The fourth principle or lesson that I want to draw from the idea of water this morning is the idea of being guided by water. And I've, I've taken a verse out of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 10. And it reads like this. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. God knows that we need water for sustenance. God is reassuring Israel here that he will uh, continue to lead them in a way that will sustain their lives. Along with that Old Testament verse there in Isaiah. I want to read Revelations chapter 7. I believe God is just as interested in my journey today, your journey today, wherever it's going. Uh, Revelations chapter 7, two verses, 16 and 17. And this is talking about, this is uh, in the book of Revelations, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Notice the parallel between what God was promising them there in Isaiah, through Isaiah. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which 
is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We're in transition this morning, people. We're going from Isaiah to Revelations. And somewhere down the road, we want to get to those living fountains of water. My spiritual truth this morning is, from that being guided by the waters, is I believe that we need to be spiritually, we need to be settled near or in God's word. That's where we want to settle. You stop and think about the, the history of our country. You know, where did the settlements crop up? Wasn't it by the water? By the streams? Close to the uh, coasts? East coast? And as they migrated further, you know, water was an important sustenance part of their life. And that's where they settled. And just a little interesting thought here personally relates to me. And it's with interest I discovered this here just, I don't know, a year ago, maybe. Uh, Mississippi River is a part of Minnesota, and uh, a very integral part of Minnesota. And uh, on the banks of the Mississippi River in Little Falls, Minnesota, I discovered there's a, there's a mansion there. And it's called the Musser Mansion. Now, that's special to me because I'm, I'm, I'm a descendant of the Musser family. I have not checked it out. As far as I've checked it out, the descendant of that Musser man there, Richard Musser, was a descendant of Peter Musser. And I'm a descendant of Peter Musser too. I'm thinking it could be relative. This was back in the 1800s. Actually, there were two bachelors. Two bachelors, Richard Musser and uh, Charles Warehouser. Now, everybody knows the name Warehouser, but not everybody knows the name Musser, do they? So these were two bachelors. They came in and they started Pine Tree Lumber Company. Their fathers set them up, and uh, those two bachelors were there running that lumber company. And as time went on, they were no longer bachelors. But as time would have it, the, the uh, warehouser man had sons, and the musser man had one son but died at birth, Peter, named after his father, uh, or his grandfather, rather. And uh, he died shortly after birth. So uh, Richard Musser did not have any... Uh, any male descendants, and I think the lumber company kind of migrated north, maybe, perhaps up north or east Wisconsin, International Falls, I'm not sure. But uh, those two mansions are there side by side on the bluff overlooking uh, Mississippi River there at Little Falls, the Warehouser Mansion and the Musser Mansion. But, you know, why did they settle there? Because of an important, it was strategic to their lumber, floating the trees down the river probably, and also for sustenance. Well, in conclusion, I want to ask you these four questions. The word of God, the water of God's word compared to man's broken cistern. Check your source. Check your water source this morning. What are you drinking from? Number two, God has a plan of safety for his people in the waters of judgment. There's a way out if we seek him. As he supplied the ark, in the Old Testament, he's supplying the church today. There are times that we find ourselves in troubled water or deep water or tempestuous, tempestuous waves as the disciples did. And Jesus calmly came walking to them on the water. Again, that would be another lesson. But again, where is our, where is our security and our sustenance? Thirdly, have you had your daily washing of the word of God? I ask you. Four, 
Are you settled in the Word of God, and are you finding your sustenance in it? Is it providing your livelihood? Is it providing you for your journey into the life beyond when we will drink from the fountains of living water? I don't know what that's going to be like, but it's something to anticipate. God bless you this morning. Let's kneel for prayer.